Welcome to the Mergon Podcast. What started over 40 years ago as one small company is now an international network of businesses and non-profit partners. A story of unfolding impact across sectors and continents. Join us as we share our journey and explore what's possible when God leads the way. In this episode, Peter Forer, Neil Hart, and Dani Vermeulen discuss the Mergon Foundation journey and what they've learned about redemptive practices in philanthropy. They explain the reasons for shifting from a traditional funder-donor approach to a strategic partnership approach that now focuses on three regions, South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and the Middle East. Welcome to the Mergon Journey podcast series. I'm Peter Fore, CEO at Mergon, and with me today is Neil Hart, Executive Head at the Mergon Foundation, and Dani Vermeulen, Director at Generosity Path for the Sub-Saharan region. Morning, gentlemen. Hello, Peter. Hello, Neil. Hey, guys. It's good to be with you. In the previous episode, we spoke about the challenges we faced as an investment team starting out in the early days of the global financial crisis in 2008 and how we grew through that and learned many lessons and actually developed our whole investment approach at Mergon. Similarly, today, we're going to focus on Mergon Foundation and uh, the different things we've learned over the years in terms of what it means to be really good in stewarding a capital base and really good at stewarding giving from a foundation. So what's great about today is that we have the honor of having two of the four leaders of the Mergon Foundation since 2008 yeah, with us in the studio today. I think if we reflect on where we've come from, we can clearly see how God has sent the right person at the right time to lead the foundation through its different phases of um, growth and development. So, Donnie, let's start with you. You first consulted to Mergon before you actually joined our team, before that you were leading some work in Africa for another foundation. But tell us a bit more about yourself and how you got to hear about Mergon Foundation. Yeah, Peter, I must confess that I heard about Mergon Foundation, but I did not give much attention to it because I was working with American foundations and obviously with a dollar and uh, that was worth much more. And uh, one day I got a, a telephone call from Marinda and, and, and she said, can't you come over and let's have a chat? And I thought, well, that would be interesting. And I was, I was blown over by that first meeting with Mergon Foundation. I realized that I was totally mistaken and that there is a massive, massive potential in this foundation. And that's how it all started right in the beginning. Yeah, Dani, I think you probably also realized we need help. Um, we started off with a small giving portfolio. Uh, really, I mean, at, in the time when I started, the trustees would sit around the table and each bring a small piece of paper and motivate to give to someone they knew. And we realized if we're going to make a big step up in the giving, we would need to rethink how we do this and how we approach this giving. And, um, and so I think it was an opportune time when you joined us to help us just shift our perspective and give us a little bit of a, a bigger view of what, what it looks like to actually be responsible in the way we do philanthropy or the way we give. Peter, um, true, but I must also add what blew me away about Mergon has always, it, it's left a footprint in my life. 
And that was the joy of generosity that existed within the foundation. I've, I've been at board meetings with other foundations and sometimes I left there and I, I felt disheartened because the idea was almost how can we give less? And in Mergon, I, I found totally the opposite is how can we be more supportive and how can we give more into the situation? That was for me a footprint that is still today in my life. And what I'm busy doing right now is as a result of that. Yeah, that's amazing, Donnie. Yeah, I, I think you you certainly have left some footprints in Mergon um, from those early seasons that we continue to walk in. But Neil, let me let me ask you, I mean, if you think of where we started and you hear these stories and you think of the things we are busy with today, it's a long way from where we started. I mean, you've just come off a conference from hosting 30 ministry leaders from across Africa in a leadership initiative that Mergon is driving. Yeah, we've just come off of the Healthy Leaders Journey. Um, Healthy Leaders Journey is something we've put together recently, uh, probably in the last two years. Um, and it's really for us to be able to be more supportive of the leaders that we're partnering with. And you know, often we see leaders and we, we see them doing amazing things, but we're not always aware of the tremendous burden that they carry. And so we met with uh, 30 leaders and their spouses from places like Iraq and Egypt and, and Ethiopia, different parts of, of Africa and the Middle East. And, you know, it's not just the spiritual burdens that they have to carry in very difficult environments, but they carry the emotional burdens of their team and the people they're ministering to. They carry financial burdens because very often they're not well cared for financially. Um, but we also look at other things. We look at their, their physical health. Uh, some, some, you know, just don't have enough uh, resources to even take care of themselves in those different ways. And I'm not talking about average leaders, I'm talking about excellent leaders. And so as we work with uh, you know hundreds of leaders across different places, we really are wanting to support them, love on them a whole lot better, and to make sure that we, we're not just funding a ministry, but that we're actually in partnership on, on a much more complex level. Neil, that is, you really hit to the heart of what Mergon is about and to why we titled this episode From Conduit to Catalyst. Um, you speak about partnership, you speak about caring for people, not just for results and outcomes. And I'd love for us to dig into that a little bit more as we go along. But if we can just take one step back, um, maybe you can tell us about your own experience because you don't come just from a foundation or a funded perspective. You actually have seen the other side of this partner relationship. And I think it gives you a unique vantage point from which to shape the things that Mergon are getting involved with and how we drive our approach going forward. Yeah, I do come from a, a, a different background, but I think many of us in the foundation actually come out of ministry uh, leadership backgrounds. Before that, I was in business for 20 years in, in advertising. Um, and that was a wonderful season in my life. And God called me out of that to lead a, a missions organization working in Africa and Middle East. Um, and at the end of that season, when I realized that God had, had called time for me on that season, it was such a God moment to bring me uh, to join this team. Uh, and what a, what a wonderful thing. And it's so many things linked, I think, from those last couple of years into, uh, into what we're doing at Mergon. So as an example, we still look after um, Africa and Middle East. So similar regions, similar types of leaders, similar types of ministries, but a much more diverse team. And I think the unique thing for me about Mergon, and one of the things I, you know, hopefully we never forget this, is if you're leading a ministry somewhere in the world, you really are focused on that ministry and you focus deeply on it. 
we get the advantage of a wide perspective. And so, you know, we perhaps don't get to go as deep as, as you can if you're in one place, but we see across maybe 100, 150 different ministries and you get a sense of what God is doing in a region and what a joy that is. Uh, that's a perspective, I think, an advantage point uh, or vantage point that we get at Mervon, which is a real joy for us. Yeah, Neil, that really caused such an amazing picture of the role we can play if we are diligent in our stewardship and we really consider the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that God has given us to make a difference more than just funding, but actually through getting involved and supporting ministries in different ways. But Donny, I want to link onto that. I mean, what Neil speaks about there is really true partnership. Uh, he also speaks about collaboration. And of course, all of these things need to happen in relationship. And I think that's a lot of what you brought to the foundation when you joined us. You had amazing relationship networks long established across Africa, and also these relationships with US foundations that you brought to the table to really enrich our perspective and um, shifted gear in Mergon really through a couple of things that you started in the in sort of around 2011, 2012. Yes, Peter, what Neil has just mentioned, the seed was already planted in those years. When we looked at the future of Mergon, we asked ourselves what kind of a foundation do we want to be? Do we want to just give money away or do we want to be relational? And we then decided we wanted to, to be relational and we realized that that would be a journey. So I had this network and we looked at all the possibilities and so on. And I think back in those years, what was fundamental is between ourselves and the McClellan Foundation, we held a African consultation where we got their, what they call grantees together and all our partners together in one consultation. And it was amazing as these organizations and ministries started to talk to each other and beautiful collaborations started from there. Maybe if I can just give one example, uh, one of those consultations, I sat with two of our partners but we're also grantees of McClellan Foundation. And we were just chatting and both of them were sharing that they have a vision for Western Zambia, which is the most unreached area of Zambia. And as I told this story, I, I said, but, but guys, you, you're both working in the same place. What if you could collaborate and between ourselves and McClellan Foundation, we'll give seed funding to it I think it was $10,000, and you work out for us a strategy how you will, the one is church planting, the other one is a ministry to children. And you know what? It is now, I think, eight years later, and that collaboration is still going on strong. Yeah, and, and I mean, from those early days where we just started stepping into this space of, of facilitating collaboration and being more than just a funding partner, but actually being intentional in bringing different people together. We tried a number of different things, but we've actually come a long way when it comes to understanding how to be strategic about deploying our funding in regions and 
uh, not just into the regions, but from our own perspective also, maybe launching some initiatives. Neil, I wonder, maybe it's a good time for you just to tell us a little bit about what we do as a foundation today and, and how some of these things that we're speaking about have really come to, I guess, fruition in terms of where we are today. Yeah, thank you. Probably a, just a quick sketch of where we are today. We, we fund into three regions. Um, so South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Middle East, North Africa. South Africa is our Jerusalem, if, if you will. And uh, you know, the focus really in South Africa is to uh, disciple into specific areas in, in South Africa. Each of those regions has a unique strategy. Um, and that's, I think, is also something that has evolved. Initially, we, uh, we were trying to work out how to fund well. Um, and so uh, at one point, you know, using a kind of a, a little bit more of a one-size-fits-all approach into each region. But we've realized God is busy uh, in his own unique ways in regions. And so the first question we've got to ask is, what is God doing in a region? And how do we join what he's doing? And so each of the regional teams, and we've got a, a, a team that's responsible for each of those regions, their job is to seek out what the Lord is doing, uh, to meet people, to network, to connect with people. And then we develop a unique strategy for each of those regions and we fund into that region. The overarching goal for us is that we focus in on evangelism, discipleship, and anything that leads people into uh, what we call an assimilation of a faith community. So pretty much evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And so we'll never pick up a ministry partner that's not involved with one of those because our ultimate goal is for, to see God's kingdom um, expand. And so we've got this one sort of little line that we use that keeps us focused, which is to be a catalytic resource partner to ministries. And so wherever we're funding in each of those regions, however, whoever we're funding, we want to make sure that we are a resource partner. And that for us speaks beyond just the money. Um, our, our primary giving is through money, but we have realized over the years that there's a lot of value that comes out of collaboration and networking and just really supporting. And there's quite a lot that we do there. Catalytic, because we realize that, you know, we the money that we do allocate, the world is a big place and money doesn't go very far. And so we want to make sure that we steward the capital that we've got really, really well. Um, and so where we do give, we're looking for those multiplier type initiatives. Uh, we're looking for places where we can be more catalytic. And then partner, Dani said it earlier, but we want our primary vehicle of giving to be through partnership. And that's because... We, we really just believe that the DNA of the kingdom is, is relationships. You know, Jesus uh, came uh, for us uh, because he loved us. And we want to be, be funders that, that consider relationship in exactly the same way. So we talk about relationship and partnership, but in reality, there are certain power dynamics at play between a funder and a beneficiary of funding. Talk to us about that and some of the things that we've had to learn and unlearn in our Mergon journey. Yeah, that's a great question and probably one of our greatest challenges, uh, maybe not just for us, but for most foundations. When capital walks into a room, uh, there's a dynamic of power, um, especially when money is meeting a need. And so the person in need of those finances can often be seen or can feel in a position of weakness. Uh, and we want to make sure that that does not happen. It's not easy because uh, when a ministry approaches us very often, the, mostly their primary reason for approaching us is for funding. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to unpack our power 
in order to get on the same sort of level of relationship. And if we can do that, and it's not always easy, then we know that we're probably in for a pretty good partnership journey over three years or maybe even longer. And it's really important for us that as we journey in relationship, that it's exactly that. It's relationship and it's relationship on an equal footing. We don't want to be in a position above anybody. And so uh, one of the ways that we do that is through vulnerability. And our team, we often speak about this, but how can we be more vulnerable with our partners? And as an example, during COVID, uh, when, Peter, you remember this, our our investments took a, a big knock, as did most people's. Um, what we did is we wrote a letter to all of our ministry partners. And at that stage, probably 100 ministry partners expecting a consistent stream of funding from us. And we said, hey, guys, we are struggling. Things are not looking rosy. Pray for us, pray with us and stand with us that we can continue to give. And so there was some vulnerability, I think, that we tried to demonstrate, not that we were just aiming for the vulnerability. We were really looking for the partnership to come from the other side is this is a moment where we were in, in an area of weakness and they were in an area of power to be able to pray using uh, prayer as a means to help us. And so, you know, this whole journey of relationship for us is a dynamic that we're still learning and trying to grow in. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, over the years, we've learned that even in the little things, we can make that power gap smaller. For example, you know, I know in, in many foundations, it's a black hole. You apply, you never hear back from them. They don't tell you, you know, a yes or a no. Maybe the day you hear a yes, that's the first time you hear from them. Or for example, the um, burden in terms of reporting or application processes is so tough, you know, and, and I know that you guys have been so intentional to say, how do we streamline all of these things to make it accessible, to be transparent, to really serve the ministry partners and not raise this sort of pedestal of power that we perceive that, that as a funder, you could be perceived to have. Scripture talks about we enriching one another. If um, we are enriched by being able to journey with our partners, it's not just the other way around. And, um, and so it's a journey together. It's about laying down power. That's an example that Christ gave us. He laid down power and he built relationship and he journeyed with people. And I think that's the heart of Mergon is that we want to journey with people firstly, but with organizations to see them flourish and succeed in the long term. Donnie, I remember when, um, when you joined, one of the first things that you challenged us with is um, uh, we were giving funding to um, ministries, but we were on a one-year funding cycle. And you said, guys, we have to shift this. Um, tell us a little bit about that, even in the practicalities of how we think about funding, how that uh, shows respect and partnership. Peter, you know, partnership says we're on a journey. And a 12-month journey is a very short journey. You kind of come to the end of the year and you've just started something and the funding ends. And we felt like, well, we want to work in a, a, a longer period of time and make sure that we add value. And what Neil said just now is very important. We felt we don't want to get, just give money and at the end of the day, give us your statistics of your numbers and your figures. We wanted to see impact. And impact doesn't just happen in 12 months. Peter, can I just jump in there on what Donnie's just said? I think it's a, it's a great point. Uh, I think there's something about 
the, the way we live our lives. In fact, even I think how the church views impact, that's very, very short-term thinking. So, you know, if you look at scripture right from the beginning, God speaks to Abraham about the generations. And it's it's never for one generation or two, it's for the generations to come. And impact is no different. And how we fund for the sake of impact should be exactly the same. Um, and so one of the things that we've tried to do, Donnie, to your point, is uh, is to, to consider not just the leader and the, and the ministry season that they're in, but to see how we can encourage health in that ministry and strengthen that ministry for the seasons to come. And realize that sometimes a ministry goes through a, a rough period. Uh, that might be a year or two where actually impact is very low. The question that we should be asking ourselves is what is being formed in that ministry and is there potential for greater impact uh, beyond that? And so for us uh, really to keep our eyes on what that looks like. So guys, that's all great, but ultimately, how do you know that you're having impact and how do we measure impact? Yeah, that's the silver bullet. Donnie, do you want to comment on that? Yeah. yeah nice, uh, nice pass there, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, um, right in the beginning, one of the things that we seriously looked at, a lot of the funding agencies have designated funding, and designated funding means uh, this is the project, and these are the measurables, and these are the numbers that you will produce at the end of the 12 months. And we felt, no, we don't want designated funding. We want to give the partner undesignated funding so that the partner has the ability to apply the funding in whatever, whichever area of the ministry that needs it most. So uh, it may be capacity that they need for a season to spend more funding on capacity and then uh, later on projects and so on. And, and that is what Neil was saying. So the impact measurement is over a period of time and is non-prescriptive. Yeah, let me add something to that, Donnie. We measured ourselves, I think, uh, for, for quite a long time on the results of our partners. And I think that's not unusual. That happens a lot. And there's very good reason for that because at the end of the day, we say if we've allocated X amount of money, what's been the result of that? But I think more and more we began to realize that uh, we're really giving a small percentage of funding to a ministry. How can we then use their measurement and their impact as our measurement and our impact? Um, and so what we've done is we flipped it a little bit on its head. We still ask for, for the things that they are celebrating. And, and at the end of every year, we put together what we call a celebration report. And that celebration report looks at all the things that have happened. A thousand leaders have been trained, 10,000 churches have been planted, 500 orphans have been taken care of. Whatever those things would be, those are all really important things. And we use that as a celebration internally with our staff. And we tell the stories of what our partners have done. And we use that as a celebration report with our board. But we create an entirely new document that looks at how uh, we measure our success. And so one of the things that we measure as an example is partnership. And, and one of the ways that we can measure partnership, the question we ask ourselves is, did we serve the partner well? Now, we can't measure ourselves. We've got to ask the partners if they can measure us on that. And so there are many different metrics, but one of those metrics is partners giving us feedback on a rating scale on whether they felt like we served them well or not independent of the funding. And so we use those kinds of factors to assess ourselves. And that's really where we as a team go away every year. We look at those things and some of them are tough and we try and improve as a result of that. Neil, you mentioned earlier 
how we actually reach out and care for the ministry leaders. I mean, that means there's a relationship that forms. It gets a bit closer. Um, how do you manage that distance, I guess, to be healthy or, you know, and how do you make sure it doesn't become unhealthy? I think there's a professional piece to it, if, uh, if we look at it from one perspective, which is to make sure that we don't become subjective in our funding. Relationship can make us subjective. And, and we recognize that. So there is an invisible line that we often have the conversation with in the foundation. We want to make sure we don't step over that. But I think that is, is not to say that it keeps us away from investing ourselves relationally. So it's very easy for a foundation to use the professional line as an excuse for not being relational. And so we've got to live in the tension of what it looks like to be professional and relational at the same time. Yeah, right. And Neil, in the beginning, I remember in one of the board meetings, we we used the term keeping the partner at arm's length. The discussion was how close do we get to the partner? And the, the reason behind it was because we don't want to be prescriptive. We want to be relational like you bring it up. So you guys actually speak about relational influence, um, that if we are in relationship, we can have influence without coming from a place of authority or coming from a place as as being a funder. And I think that's definitely always been something that has characterized the way Mergon has engaged with our partners. But relationship is, I guess, often easy when things go well, but harder when things don't go well. And, um, And I guess the challenge for us has been to even in the situations where things have not gone well, to actually take a relational approach to dealing with those things. Because I think so often funders will, you know, act quite harshly or decisively without applying a relational approach. Neil, uh, uh, give us an example of something that comes to mind that speaks to this. I agree. Uh, Love gives us authority. Money gives us authority, but it comes from a different spirit. So sometimes things go wrong. And we've got to choose, do we step into the power dynamic or do we stay in the love dynamic? Uh, I'll give you an example of one occasion where we were working with a ministry um, in one of the island nations and we'd been granting to them for a few years. And uh, I won't uh, unpack it in too much detail because it's a long story, but we arrived and it's quite supernaturally uh, from a different source, we found out that there'd been money that was embezzled. And so we'd been giving to this ministry, walking a road with this ministry, and we realized that money was being abused. And so we had to make a decision as to what we would do. I guess the easy thing would have been just to, you know, bring the hammer down, uh, bring the law in, in, into it, stop the funding. But we spent some time praying and seeking the Lord, and we, f- and we felt that the, the right thing to do would be to see if there was the chance for restoration. And so restoration meant we still brought in structure to support and to correct. And what happened was after a journey with us bringing in an accountant to helping them create better governance on their financial systems, um, by helping look at the board and finding where the problem was and asking that person to step off the board and never be involved in the ministry again. And that was conditional for us to continue granting. And that journey took 18 months. And then after 18 months, we were able to feel comfortable enough to continue funding that ministry. And I think that's probably an example where, you know, it's, it's a decision-making time. You want to invest into relationship, but it can easily break relationship uh, with something like that. And I think if we choose to continue, we can find ways through those things. 
Yeah, thank you, Neil. Guys, I think we have to wrap it up. It's been such a rich conversation. Um, Donnie, so great to have you here with us today. Um, you continue to do amazing work in the generosity space, active and traveling in Africa and building relationships, which is something you've been faithful with for many, many years. And Neil, thanks to you, there's so much more we can unpack about Mergon, about our approach, some of the lessons we've learned. It's been incredibly valuable to hear your perspectives and just hear your heart as you've shared what we as a foundation are about. Thank you, Peter. In our next episode, we'll dive into the history of Mutobi and Nation Builder, which has been serving as a bridge between social impact and business for more than a decade. Neil, Dani, thank you so much for being part of the Mergon Foundation journey. It's been a blessing to walk this road with you and we look forward to a long road ahead still. Great stuff. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you for listening in today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Mergon journey. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.mergon.co.za.